God bless you, my beloved. Good morning. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship, coming to you with the second installment, second weekly installment of our uh, teaching program, The Truth of the Gospel, The Truth of the Gospel. I'm coming to you this morning continually as other Christians are in prayer concerning the coronavirus uh, pandemic. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and we're praying, we're praying, and believing the Lord that His good, acceptable, and perfect will will be done. That's all we can do. We're also praying for churches that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that those churches would be sustained spiritually and financially during this time. We're asking Lord, we're asking the Lord to both supernaturally and through human contribution to bless and sustain those churches because we know that once a church has to leave its on-site what we call brick and mortar site uh, because of human nature and we know all people are not tech savvy especially the older people contributions will tend to go down at what percentage I don't know I'm not a pastor so I don't I don't have that kind of uh, data but even if contributions drop 15%, 20% to some ministries, that could be devastating. Some ministries can handle it. Your larger ministries may be able to handle it. Some ministries have a, a great reserve, what I would call maybe a Joseph fund. If you remember from the book of Genesis, Joseph told Pharaoh to store up food for seven years because a famine is coming. And, and, and Pharaoh... Pharaoh took Joseph's advice and stored up food for seven years because Pharaoh had, Pharaoh had had uh, several dreams. And uh, in, in one dream there was plenty, but in the next dream, which was the same night, Pharaoh dreamed that there was famine. And Joseph told him, this is what, these, are, these dreams are from the Lord. And then Joseph said something very significant, and this is something that we need to remember because the same thing could happen to us. The Lord could deal with us in the same way. Joseph said to Pharaoh, because you had both dreams back to back, God is going to perform it soon. Let me say that again. Joseph said to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh had two dreams. One dream was of these fat cows, all nice fed. And then he had another dream where those same cows or different cows were emaciated. You could see their ribs and all that. They were they were blighted and skinny. And Pharaoh woke and he called on Joseph, who had the, the gifting of interpreting dreams, sort of like Daniel. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams are from the Lord. The Lord is showing you you're going to have seven years of plenty, but you're going to have seven years of famine. It is the wisdom of God that you take the seven years of plenty and store up for the seven years of famine. We, we hear Paul make allusion to that where he tells, I think he tells Timothy, probably tells a congregation, one of the churches, maybe, maybe Philippians, I can't remember. He says, storing up for the day to come. He may be making an allusion to the Old Testament since that's all the Bible they had at that time. So Pharaoh had the two dreams, and because he had the two dreams back to back, Joseph said to him, 
because you had those two dreams back to back, those dreams are gonna, uh, the, that, the, the prophecy will take place soon. And so uh, somebody, I don't know who, the Lord may have shown somebody that this was coming. I know it's in the Bible. They interviewed somebody on CNN this morning and, and the person, for whatever theological reason or whatever, made no mention of what the Bible says. The Bible says in the last days that there would be famines and pestilences on earth. Earthquakes in many different places, wars and rumors of wars. Nations would rise against nations. Watch this. Kingdoms against kingdoms. Kingdoms against kingdoms. That was fulfilled during World War One and World War Two, when you had multiple nations aligned against each other, not just one nation aligned against another. You had kingdoms against kingdoms. You had the United States and its allies, Great Britain and France and Australia, etc., Canada, aligned against the Axis powers, Germany, Italy, Japan. So you had kingdoms against kingdoms. That was fulfilled, really, in World Wars I. Many scholars and historians say that World War II was really just a, a continuation of World War I. And so you had not just nations against nations, you had kingdoms against kingdoms. And so these things are coming to pass. And so when we see, if you do um, a word search, and you can do a, a word search by using um, any good reference concordance Bible or electronically by downloading an app called blueletterbible.org. Blue, like the color blue. Blueletterbible.org. And once you download that app and, app and set it up, just type in the word pestilence, P-E-S-T-I-L-E-N-C-E. -E. It's going to give you, it'll normally give it to you in the King James Version, but you can choose in other versions if you want to. But try the King James Version first. It'll give you every scripture in the Bible from Genesis through Revelation that has the word pestilence. And every time pestilence, or almost every time pestilence is mentioned, it's mentioned with some nation or individuals or groups uh, undergoing chastening at the displeasure of, because of the displeasure of God. Then, when you get a chance, type in the word plague or plagues, P-L-A-G-U-E. And, it'll, and Blue Letter Bible, I'm sure there are other apps, but that's the one that I, I mostly use. It'll give you every instance in the Bible from Genesis through Revelation where the word plague is used. So pestilence and plague, pestilence and plague, pestilence, excuse me, pestilence and plague. In the Greek New Testament, they're really the same word. I didn't, get, I didn't look it up in the Hebrew. But in the Greek New Testament, pestilence and plague are really the same word. And every time these things are mentioned, especially in the Old Testament in connection with leprosy, but there would be times when God would send plagues. He sent ten plagues to Pharaoh through Moses. There were ten plagues. Ten plagues. Lice, frogs, flies, uh, uh, blood, water turned to blood, all kinds of plagues and pestilence. So what I'm saying is, know this, that these things are happening. The Bible said they would happen. 
your question is, when did we start living in the last days? To be honest with you, we started living in the last days about 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and the New Testament church was born on the day of Pentecost, that really initiated what we call the last days. Now you say, how can the last days be 2,000 or 2,000, 2,500 years long? We don't know how long it will be before other things happen. We don't know when the Lord will return from the church because he hasn't told us, and he's not going to tell us. But in the Bible, days doesn't necessarily just mean a few days. The last days can be hundreds of years. The day of the Lord can be a long time. The day of the Lord, when you see the Bible talk about the day of the Lord, it's normally talking about the time of judgment when God comes to judge the earth and judge the nations for trying to destroy Israel. But the Bible talks about it, if you read what's called the Olivet Discourse, which is in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13, the Olivet Discourse talks about not only the last of the last days, what we call the Great Tribulation, the Tribulation period, but it talks about the periods leading up to the last days, the signs that would be on the earth. And those signs are on the earth now, and they will, in they will intensify. The Bible talks about how a woman, when she's pregnant, and I'm not a woman, but if you're a woman, you'll be able to identify with this. When a woman is about to deliver a child, her, her labor pains intensify both in intensity and frequency. And then, of course, the, eventually the baby is born. The labor pains, the theological labor pains are intensifying on the earth. The Lord is saying, hey, <laughs> hello, knock, knock, who's there? He's saying, these things, that's why I, was, I really was visibly upset when they inter interviewed this theologian this morning on TV. And these two journalists asked him in a very calm and very uh, um, objective manner. They didn't attack him and all that. They said, it was a Catholic priest, okay, so I had to mention that. He said, Father so-and-so, um, what, 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 uh, where is God? Where, you know, where is God in all of this? And, the, and the, the, the priest began to talk about suffering and human suffering and how human suffering has been a problem. The question of human suffering has been a problem since Job, you know, why do the righteous suffer, etc. And then, and then he went into this other thing. He mentioned nothing about what the Bible says about there would be famines and pestilences, and he, did, he, he said we all. He said we all need to breathe, practice breathing exercises. Then he mentioned how you know Islam practice with Allah. And I, I, I was making my breakfast, fixing some grilled cheese sandwiches, and I almost dropped my grilled cheese sandwiches. Because the Bible is specific. It says, and I realize the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible. I realize they're different. And different Christians look at things different theologically. Everybody is not a premillennial Christian like I am. I believe that Jesus Christ will come, receive the church unto himself, 
there will be seven years of tribulation sometime after. We don't know how long after. It, it may not necessarily be right after. It could be 10, 20, 50 years after the church is raptured. We don't know. But sometime after Jesus comes back in the air for the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, sometime after that, and again, we don't know how long after that, there would be a period of seven years of tribulation. Three and a half of those years, the last three and a half of those years, will be called the Great Tribulation. But we have not entered that period yet, but we, ha we are in a period leading up to that. We've been in that period for about the last 2,000 years. One of the great signs that we are in that period even now is what's called apostasy. Apostasy means is there, there's a Greek APO at the beginning of the word. It's a Greek, uh, it's a preposition. It means from. APO. Apo. In Greek, it means from. And the word apostasy means to depart from the truth. We are in an age of, of apostasy now where people are departing, not just people, but churches, denominations, even once strong, strong denominations, once strong churches. Are, depart, are departing from the truth of the gospel, denying the basic truths of the gospel, denying the, the doctrine of sanctification, how God demands a holy life, not a legalistic holy life, but a ho God demands a holy life from us. And so we are in an age of apostasy, A-P-O-S-T-A-S-Y, but the apo, the A-P-O at the beginning of that word is from a Greek word that means from. It's a preposition, from. And it means the word, there's a second part of the word, um, hymnos or something like that. I don't remember exactly what that means. Uh, I heard Dr. Hitchcock talk about it the other day when I was listening to one of his um, sermons, but I can't remember. But I do know the word apostasy means to depart from the truth. And we are living in an age of apostasy we're living in an age of chaos. There's governmental chaos. Look, look at the, look at the, look at the chaos that's in governments. Our governments are scratching over a virus, not over 200 million standing army of Chinese, you know, or, or South Korean nuclear missiles. Excuse me, North Korean nuclear missiles, or uh, the threat of Islamic terrorism. The world is in chaos and fear over a virus that the human eye cannot see. Over a virus that looks like a little marble. If you look at that little virus, the little red little things, you know, I'm not a scientist, but the little red looking, I don't know what they are. And the world is in chaos and fear and confusion and doubt over a virus. This is all leading up to the cry for order and peace and leadership. And one day, and I don't know when that day will be, but the Bible says it, so it's going to happen. One day, a leader will step forward and say, I've got the solution to these problems. And that leader is called the Antichrist. Capital A-N-T-I, Christ. Anti means against 
or instead of. Like if you have anti-aircraft missiles, right, those, those missiles are against the aircraft, they're trying to shoot the aircraft down. The Antichrist is going to be against Jesus Christ and present himself as an alternative, the alternative to Jesus Christ. That's what Antichrist means. John said, the Apostle John said, even now, and John said this 2,000 years ago. Be quiet so I can talk, okay? The Apostle John said 2,000 years ago, he said that you have heard that Antichrist shall come. But he said, even now, there are many Antichrists in the world. Whereby we know, and John said this 2,000 years ago, so it has to be even more true, or truer, even now. He said, even now, he said, even now, there are many Antichrists in the world. He said, whereby we know it is the last time, meaning the last hour. But when, but he, but when he says hour, he's not talking about 60 minutes like we think of it. When, when, when you speak prophetically like John was doing and Paul and Peter and Jude, when you speak prophetically, an hour can be hundreds of years. It is the last hour. It doesn't mean 60 minutes. So John said 2,000 years ago, we know because of the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world that he talks about here in this first epistle of John. He says, we know we're in the last hour. And if he said it 2,000 years ago, you know it has to be even truer in 2020. He said this, John wrote the, these epistles in the book of Revelation. He wrote these things around 95 A.D., around 100 A.D. in that time period. So we're talking about 1,900 years ago. So you know it has to be even truer now. So this, this virus, now we got a report this morning that a one-month-old baby in Michigan has tested positive for the coronavirus. I heard on the uh, talk show this morning um, a five-month-old child, a 10-year-old child. So now the virus has reached into uh, very young children. So now the cases, it's always been serious, but now the virus, which the virus does not discriminate. The virus doesn't ask if you're gay, straight, black, white, Democrat, Republican, Rich, poor, you know, rich athletes are getting it. Athletes who make more money in one day than I'll make in, in, in uh, probably my lifetime. Virus doesn't care. You've had the flu. The flu would knock a 300-pound football player off his feet. He can be a 300-pound linebacker capable of smashing quarterbacks into, uh, uh, you know, the injured list. A virus that we can't even see can take that football player and knock him off his feet. So we've got a virus, a virus, a virus causing all of this. And, and governments, you know, Italy, Spain, uh, uh, mostly Western Europe, Russia. But see, when you deal with Russia and China and some of those closed societies, 
you sometimes you don't know you know what's the truth and what's not it's in russia but we don't know to what extent china says they've gotten a hold of it okay and the guy in the world health organization said he believes the chinese okay well but when you're dealing with closed societies you know sometimes you have to okay well you know we shall see well, my point is, this is nothing that the Bible didn't say. Now, if the Bible didn't say it would happen, and it's happening, then that would be a different story. The Bible said. Let me read to you. Uh, let me read to you from the Book of Revelation, just for a second. In the Book of Revelation, just to give you long story short, Jesus stepped forward as the only one who was able to open seven seals. And I won't go into the long story about the seven seals and all that. But John said, I saw a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was the only one worthy to open. There was a, there was a scroll with seven seals on it. And in the Roman world, that's how a will and testament looked. So John said, I wept much because no one was worthy to open this scroll with the seven seals. Nobody in heaven, nobody in earth, nobody under the earth. And he said, I looked and I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. Glory to the Lamb of God. He said, but the lamb was standing. Glory to God. How does a slain lamb stand? A slain lamb can only stand if it's been resurrected. Oh, my Lord Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So John said, the lamb stepped forward and took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. Of course, him who sat on the throne or sits on the throne is God the Father. There were seven seals on the scroll. Again, in the, the Greco-Roman world, a, a last will and testament had to have witnesses, but it was also sealed with seven seals. And nobody, Moses, Ezekiel, Daniel, Mary, Abraham, Adam, Eve, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Josiah, David, Solomon, nobody, Paul, nobody, Martin Luther King, nobody was worthy to open that uh, scroll. And John said, I wept much because nobody was found worthy. And, 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 the, and the lamb came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, well, I won't, I won't read all that. Chapter 6 is what I want to get to. And John is, is, John is giving us a picture of the Lamb opening the seven-sealed scroll. Because remember, Jesus is the heir, H-E-I-R. Jesus is the heir of all things. So because he's the heir and we are joint heirs with him, the Bible says we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, right? So since we are heirs with him, whatever Jesus inherits, we inherit because we're with him. So Jesus, as the heir, right? If you've ever gone to the reading of the will, you've been called to read the, to the reading of the will because somebody has left something to you, whether it's a cat or a Cadillac. <laughs> and so John sees Jesus opening the seven-sealed scroll. What Jesus is doing is he's revealing the judgments of God that are about to come upon the earth. 
So let me read to you from the sixth chapter of Revelation. This is what this isn't what I planned. I planned on doing first John three. I've got my notes and my Greek and my manuscript and all that, but, but let's just go in this different direction just for a few minutes, if you don't mind. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray and we just ask that you just honor our teaching today and we pray that people would have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church in Jesus' name, Lord. Let fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, we pray, be the result of this teaching and this preaching, not only here, but all over the world. Let, Lord, we pray for those churches that really love you. We pray that you will sustain them spiritually, financially, supernaturally, as only you can. By Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. John, he's going to see Jesus open the, the, um, the scroll. Remember, if you see the word book in the Bible, they didn't have books back then as what we have today because there was no printing press, etc. It would be a scroll. And this scroll was sealed with seven seals. Seven being that number of divine completion, etc. And John said, when I saw the Lamb, who is Jesus, he opened one of the seals. And these seals all represent the judgment of God. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, which you have to go back to chapter 4 to understand that part, saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him had a bow, as in bow and arrow. But there was no arrow, there was a bow. And a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now this individual is not Jesus Christ. This individual is the Antichrist. He sat on a white horse. He had a bow. A crown was given unto him. Authority. Kingdom. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. That is not Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus Christ on a horse, that's not till Revelation chapter 19. And he's got many diadems, crowns on his head. And he comes back with believers from heaven to fight the battle of Armageddon. That's not till chapter 19. This is chapter 6. This is the Antichrist going forth conquering and to conquer. Notice he had a bow. He had no arrow. But And many commentators think that means he's going to conquer first peacefully by his words, by his political persuasion. Notice he has a bow, but he has no arrow. And again, there are many responsible commentators who say that probably means he's going to win the world over by his words, the persuasiveness of his diplomacy, his words. He'll be highly intelligent. He won't be a buffoon standing at a microphone, stumbling, bumbling, mumbling, saying people are dying who never died before and stuff like that. This will be a highly, highly intelligent, highly intelligent, intelligent individual to the point he's going to get the whole world to follow him. But he's going to be the Antichrist. <laughs> but notice the second seal. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. I think the original Greek says come. I don't think the original Greek says and see. I believe the Greek uh, New Testament just says come. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another. This is war. World war. And there was given unto him a great sword. So now this is not just a bow with no arrow. This is a great sword. Peace is being taken from the earth. 
I want, uh, I want, I want to get to the fourth beast here. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his head. Uh, okay, it's the third one I want to get to. This is the one I'm at right now. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts, which go back to chapter 4, say, now, now listen to this very carefully. And I'm not saying this has come to pass today, but I'm showing you that today is leading up to this. If you believe in what's called premillennialism and all that. A, a measure of wheat for a penny. Wheat was expensive um, material that made bread. And three measures of barley, which was a lot less expensive. A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. So wheat and barley had the same cost, but wheat we know is much more expensive. It's like gold is to like bronze. Then, and then it says, and see you hurt not the oil and the wine. This indicates famine. But it also, it also indicates, see you hurt not the oil and the wine. It indicates favor being given to the rich. The oil and the wine. See that you hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth. This is Jesus opening the scrolls. And to understand this chapter, you would have to read the, 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 the next chapters. Because the next chapters are going to have these judgments unfolding. The, the bold judgments, the vile judgments, the seal judgments, etc. I know Bishop Hutchins taught on the book of Revelation a couple of months ago. And I know he did an excellent job. I caught a little bit of it, but not much. And I heard a voice of, of, of uh, Kingdom Now Ministries uh, in, um, in uh, Snellville, Georgia. And I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale. Now, whenever you see the word pale, th th that indicates death. How do you look when you die? You look pale, because your blood has drained you know, down from the parts of your body. And his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. Remember Jesus said at the beginning of the book of Revelation, I am he who lives and I was dead and I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of hell and of death. Remember he said in Matthew 16, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Only Jesus can keep death and hell from conquering us. Peter, you are Peter, Petros, rock. You are Peter, upon this rock, Peter, upon your confession that I am the Messiah, upon your confession of faith, I will build not the Baptist church, not the Pentecostal church, not the Presbyterian, Catholic, Episcopalian, four square, full gospel, Lutheran. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, death itself. And when he said gates of hell, he was acknowledging that Satan has an organized kingdom. The gates of hell. Because in those days, when you wanted to conquer a city, you had to conquer its gates. And there would be watchmen upon the gates. And so Jesus said the gates of hell itself. He was in essence saying death, the second death especially. Death itself. And Satan, who is the author of death who has the power of death. The Bible says Satan had, that Jesus came and died so that we could be delivered from Satan who has the power of death. 
Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell. Death itself will not prevail against it. So though you may die today or tomorrow, or though someone, Christians have died from the coronavirus, if they were true Christians, death and hell would not prevail against them because Jesus will raise them from the dead at his coming for the church. If I die today or tomorrow, 10 days from now, whenever, Paul said the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And that word sleep is only used with believers. When you see that word sleep, he shall, we shall not, we shall, some of us shall sleep. That's a word used for believers because it's a temporary sleep. And then when the Lord calls, it'll be like when your mama used to shake your shoulders when you were a child and say, get up. Time to go to school. Get up. It's time to go to Sunday school. But that's what the Lord is going to do. If you die as a believer, hallelujah to the Lamb of God, him who is worthy to open the sealed, seven sealed scroll, Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. The Lord is going to get up. It doesn't matter if you die of cancer, diabetes, heart, heart, uh, uh, heart disease, with, uh, Alzheimer's. As terrible as those diseases are, when you rise from the dead, you're going to rise in a new body. John said in 1 John chapter 3, he said, we don't know what we're going to look like, but we do know that we shall see, we shall be like him, Jesus, but we shall see him as he is. So your mother who died, of, my mother died of a massive stroke. She had about 12, 15 mini strokes. And then she died in 2006, a massive stroke back here in this part of the brain took her out. She died a few weeks after having that stroke. But she died a believer, and I'm not just saying that because she's my mother. I know she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. So when the Lord returns with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, my mother would be among the dead in Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. She's not going to rise in that body that she was buried in. Paul said, no, this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. I'm not rising from the dead with, 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 with uh, a 63-year-old man's body. No, I'm rising with a glorified body, the same body as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The principal difference will be I won't have scars in my hands and in my feet and a big scar in my side as Jesus. He still has those scars. He's in a glorified body. He's the God-man. But he still has those scars. Hallelujah. He'll have those scars for eternity. Glory to the Lamb of God. I looked in a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill, watch this, with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the earth. There were four horsemen of the apocalypse. But the time we're living in now is leading up to that. That's why we talk about a woman being pregnant. You, if you've ever had a baby, you may have had your first labor pain on Monday. But you didn't deliver the child till Wednesday or Thursday. 
But as you as you uh, progress from Monday to Wednesday or Thursday, the labor pains increased. There are some women who stay in labor 48, 72 hours. And then there are some, they stay in labor and, and they can't deliver the baby and they have to go ahead and do an emergency C-section. I know uh, our, our first daughter was born by C-section. Breach, it was breach. They couldn't turn her around. She was born by C-section. So as, as, as we progress here, the labor pains are intensifying. In both in, in, in frequency and uh, um, 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 intensity. So this virus, and again, this is this is a this is a sign. It's a sign. It's not to be ignored. It is a sign. It is a and how long it will last? Whether we'll flatten the curve, we probably will. But when? But the same virus could occur again next year. You. Who, who has that? Who's ever? Have we been able to defeat the flu? No, we haven't been able to defeat the common cold. I'm not being pessimistic. We haven't defeated the common cold. We haven't defeated the flu. That that flu of 1918 that killed at least 50 million, 50, 50 million people at least. I've seen one estimate, 100 million. 20 million in India alone. About six to 700,000 in the United States. The flu virus. And we haven't defeated the flu. We get flu shots, and some people still get the flu because the flu is like a running back, a shifty running back. It keeps mutating, and you don't know what strain of the virus you're going to get. You get a flu shot, and then a different strain of the flu shows up. And so your flu shot is not 100% effective. It might be 50% effective. You might still get the flu, but it may not be as, as bad. I've never gotten the flu shot yet. I probably will. I think some insurance companies mandate that you get them when you turn 65. I'm 63, but I've never gotten the flu shot. I'm just, I'm just I'm squeamish about stuff like that. I guess it's... The black man in the in the medical apartheid, you know, the Tuskegee uh, experiment. I guess that's the Tuskegee experiment fear in me. But I probably will end up getting the flu shot uh, one day when I turn 65. But you can get the flu shot. But the, this virus just mutates. If it never mutated, we would have defeated it by now. Suppose the coronavirus comes back next year and it mutates and it's more powerful and lethal. We don't know. But this, this, is, this is a sign that we're living in the last days. And it could be the last of the last days. I don't know. Let me say this to you. The Roman Empire lasted about 450 years. The most powerful empire on earth. You didn't defy Rome. They put you on the cross. They had rows of crosses. Like, okay, if you get out of line, see those guys on the cross? Like, get out of line. <laughs> but Rome, the Roman Empire, it crumbled from within. It didn't crumble from without. It crumbled from within, and then the people from without were able to conquer it. The four great empires have come and gone. The Babylonians, 
Remember Daniel's vision? Nebuchadnezzar had a vision and Daniel interpreted it in Daniel chapter 2. The four great empires of the world were the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greek, and the Roman. Those were the four great world empires. Gone. We still have vestiges of them. We still have vestiges of the Roman Empire, etc. But the Roman Empire will be revived one day, but that's a whole different story. But Jesus said in, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 21, in verse 11, he said, there will be a time, he said, nation will rise against nation. Listen, kingdom against kingdom. Again, world's war, world wars one and two, those were kingdoms against kingdom. You didn't just have the United States fighting Germany. You had United States, Great Britain, France, Canada, Australia. You had kingdoms against Germany, Italy, Japan, the Axis powers, you know, Russia was... Hitler tried to invade Russia, which was a stupid, you know, he tried to invade Russia. He wanted the oil in North Africa. You had kingdoms against kingdoms. But, but notice what Jesus our Lord said in the next verse. He said, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Then he said, and great earthquakes shall be in different places. Look at the U.S. Geological Survey of the frequency and intensity of earthquakes just in the last couple of hundred years. The frequency and intensity of earthquakes earthquakes in many different places i felt an earthquake here in georgia some years ago it wasn't a big one like california or south america chile or mexico but it was enough it was an earthquake i could see the furniture you know rattling the cups on the table rattling in georgia then he said famines and pestilences pestilence 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 like the great uh, plague of the Middle Ages, where they eventually found out that it was a flea that was on a rat. People were dying. I mean, they were just shocked. In some ways, it was almost as bad as the 1918. you got to study that 1918 flu. It's called the Spanish flu, not because it started in Spain. There was some other reason I read it. I can't remember. But it, it didn't start in Spain. But it was called the, it's called the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic killed. In my opinion, this, this that we're dealing with now is just as deadly, but it's moving a lot more slowly. It's just as deadly, but it's moving a lot more slowly. Where the flu pandemic in 1918, people were dropping like flies. You had people in families where four, three would get, four would get sick, two would die, the other two, two would die, two would get better, and then the other three people in the family untouched. You had soldiers during World War I, right, 1918, soldiers going around the world, carrying the virus with them, spreading it as they traveled around the world, because it was World War I, the, the usual Germany, United States, France, Great Britain, etc. We didn't have the sanitary conditions like we have now, and so you had soldiers housed in closed quarters, etc., and they were carrying it with them and then bringing it back home to the United States. Then, as the, as the chart that you've probably seen that I posted this morning, you had some people who refused to practice social distancing. So they continued to have large gatherings in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And if you look at that chart that I posted, it, it shoots way up and then shoots down, showing that there, was, there, was, there, were, there were a lot of deaths because people were still going to fairs and stuff like that. But in St. Louis, Missouri, which is the dotted line 
they practiced social distancing and they didn't have nearly the, the, the amount of deaths that they had in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So it's the same thing. This, this coronavirus is just as deadly, but it's moving a lot more slowly. That could be good, <laughs> and it could be not so good. It, it could be, a, you know, they, they, talk, they talk about death by a thousand cuts. It could be death by a thousand cuts. We don't know. Only time will tell. The Georgia governor says, let's shut the, let's shut the schools down till the end of March. This is March 22nd. That's a week from now. I don't think so. I don't think we're going back to school to work at the end of March. I don't think so. I'm not an expert. It's not my call. But we're, this has not peaked yet. So it wouldn't make sense to send hundreds of thousands of kids back to school when we're still supposed to be practicing social distancing. So we'll see what happens in that. All right. But the, but the point that I was making was... <clears throat> This is nothing new. The Bible says pestilences, famines, fearful sights, great signs shall there be from heaven. Even to the point Jesus said somewhere else in this same chapter, he said, I'll read verse 25. There shall be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. Listen to what he says next. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Look at the fear that this virus. Look at the fear. You know what it mostly is? It's fear of the unknown. You know, if, if we knew some terrorists were coming, you know, if we knew a hurricane was on its way from the west coast of Africa, we could prepare and batten down the hatches. We don't know. Uh, we don't have a cure for the virus. We don't have uh, a widespread testing for the virus. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know if it's going to be seasonal. I doubt if it's going to be just this year and then the virus is going to fade away. That would have to be divine intervention, which is possible, but we, we haven't defeated the flu. The flu is, is, is still here. It's still here. Where the flu was, if I'm not mistaken, help me with my math here. I'm not real good in math. Where the flu kills one-tenth of one percent, I think it is, something like that, 0 0.1. One-tenth of one percent of its uh, victims. The coronavirus kills, I think it's two percent. Like... I can't remember, again, you know, I know how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. I'm, I'm very shaky in decimals and all that, so I didn't pay attention to the, that class. <laughs> but the coronavirus, I believe, is exponentially more dangerous than the flu, than what we call the common flu virus. We don't know how long. We don't know if it's seasonal. We don't have a, um, a, a cure. We're grasping at straws for treatment. I'm not a medical person, but I'm not taking a malaria medicine for the coronavirus. I'm not taking I'm not taking malaria medicine. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. The only reason I got the swine flu shot was I was in the military and they told me I, I had to take the swine flu shot, so I did. Otherwise I wouldn't have taken the swine flu shot. And I don't trust all this stuff that they're putting inside of us. I'm sorry. I'm not an anti vaxxer. I'm I'm not against children getting vaccines, but I'm not I'm not taking a, a malaria 
a malaria shot for the uh, for the uh, for the COVID nineteen. I'm not gonna do it. They they they're gonna have to pin me down, and uh, you know something like that. But there there are too many unknown factors. It's time to really trust the Lord. It's time to really consecrate consecrate ourselves to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me just read my outline to you since I've already taken about maybe 30, 35 minutes. Let me read my outline to 1 John 3, 13 through 23. This is the outline. I did 1 John 3, 1 through 12 already. Friday night, I got a real scratchy throat this morning. I woke up, I think it's allergy. I took some Allegra and my throat was real scratchy when I woke up. Let me read my outline to you, then I'll make a few other comments and then I'll close. Why the truth of the gospel, Sunday morning, 11 a.m., walking with Jesus through 1 John 3, 13 through 23. This is my outline that I planned on. But again, remember, this, this pestilence uh, virus, this, this, the, the, Bible, the Bible mentions it. So, you know, let, let us not say, oh, you know, what is it? We've got to be in God's word. And then when these things happen, we won't be at all in a frenzy. This one guy is trying to sell a mask. Black guy trying to sell a mask looks like a ski mask, like the mask you put on if you're gonna rob a bank. He says, "I got 25 of them left. The eye parts are still the, the mouth." Okay. <laughs> Point number one. This is First John three one through uh, thirteen through twenty three. Do not be surprised if you as a true believer in Jesus are hated by this wicked generation. John says, don't be surprised, my, 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 my brothers, my, my beloved brethren. He says, think it not strange if the world hate you. As Christians, we, oh, why do they hate me? Why don't they receive? Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they receive my message, they'll receive yours. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. If they try to crucify me, they're going to try and crucify you. If they lie on me, they're going to lie on you. John is saying the same thing Peter said. <clears throat> Peter said, think it not strange, beloved, concerning the fiery trials. They're going to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. We as Christians got to get out of this mindset that everybody's going to love us. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ Contrary to some popular opinion, he's the most hated man in the world. Why? Because the world lies in darkness, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Follow me and you won't walk in darkness. Jesus is the most hated, not Osama bin Laden, even if he were still alive. The most hated man in the world is Jesus Christ. The most hated man in the world is Jesus Christ. Not Osama bin Laden, not, not uh, Muhammad al-Fayed, you know, Mac, Mac Daddy, whatever the name of that big terrorist was that they killed a few months ago. Mm -mm. Donald Trump is not the most hated man in the world. The most hated man in the world is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. Go to Saudi Arabia and start talking about Jesus is Lord. Go on your job and start talking about Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Bless the Lamb of God who opens the seven seals of the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. No. So John says, 
Do not be surprised if you as a true believer in Jesus are hated by this wicked generation. The Bible says the whole world lies in the grip of the wicked one, Satan. So if you know the whole world lies in the grip of the wicked one, the whole world, the cosmos, this age, with the exception of true believers, true believers, because the fake believers, they, they hate you. They hate Jesus. They're just faking it. They're posing. Paul said one of the greatest perils I was in, he said I was in perils of false brethren, false apostles. Paul said Satan has false apostles. They've transformed themselves into angels of light. Point number two, love for each other is the divine proof that we have, we have passed from condemnation of death unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Love is the single most important proof that we belong to Jesus. Love for each other. Love for each other. Not the ability to interpret the book of Revelation as nice as that is. Not, not the ability to teach from the great doctrines of the book of Romans. Love for each other. But Paul said, if I can, if I can interpret all prophecy and have the gifts, etc., he said, if I have thy love, it's just a bunch of noise. John says the same thing here. Love for each other is the, is the divine proof what did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John says, love for each other is the, is the and these are my words, but I'm just quoting, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said. Love for each other is the divine proof that we have passed from condemnation of death. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus said it, oh, excuse me, John said it in, in his gospel. I, th I think it's John 5, 24. You've passed from death unto life. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whenever it was, I accepted him on May 20th, 1979. I passed from death, the wrath of God, John 3.36, that was abiding over me. I passed from death unto eternal life. So love is that divine proof. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given unto us. True believers have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit sheds broad that love in our hearts for one another. Number three, hatred is so antithetical to the gospel that the Holy Apostle John declares that all who harbor hatred are murderers. John said, if you hate, if you hate, if you hate your brother, John said, you're a murderer. You're no better than Cain. He says, you're no better than the man who shot Martin Luther King Jr. <clears throat> or John F. Kennedy, or Lincoln, or Mega Rivers. You're no better than a murderer. John says, if you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you might go hang around with Charles Manson and, and the Manson family. You're no better than Jim Jones and that crew in Jonestown killed over 900 people. John said, if you have hatred, don't take my word for it. I would have read the passage to you, but I started talking about the other deal, so I, I, I used a little time there. Read, read 1 John 3, 13 through 23. He says, if you don't love your brother, John said, you're a murderer. He mentions in, in the 12th verse, which I talked about Friday night, he talked about how Cain murdered his brother Abel because of envy. God accepted Abel's offering. God didn't accept Cain's offering. Cain got a bad attitude. He even got a bad attitude with God. After he killed his brother Cain, Abel, 
after Cain killed Abel, God said, uh, where's your brother? I hear, I, I hear his blood crying unto me from the ground. Where's your brother? Abel, uh, Cain said to God, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You got a bad attitude with God. You better be God. I wasn't God. I slapped him right there. Pow. He said, I don't know why you're asking me. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain had a bad attitude, and God, you know, God had tried to straighten him out. He said, if you do, if you do well, you'll be accepted. But if not, sin is lying at your door. Instead of Cain taking that good advice, he went out and killed his brother. The murderer. John said, if you don't have love for your brother, you're a murderer. You cannot lynch somebody on Saturday night and sing what a friend we have in Jesus on Sunday morning. You cannot show hatred toward people <coughs> and claim to be a disciple, <coughs> excuse me, of Jesus Christ. Point number four, love is self-sacrificing, epitomized by the sinless sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read, read Philippians. I'm going to read I'm not going to pass the chance to read Philippians chapter 2. Love is self-sacrificing, epitomized by the self-sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A, a, a mind of humility and sacrifice. Who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was, or a slave. The Greek would say a doulos, a slave. Jesus became, came into the form of a servant, a man, a slave. Washed his own disciples' dirty feet. Even the disciples he knew would, 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 would shortly after that run and betray him. He washed their dirty, nasty, stinking feet. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the word made flesh dwelling among us. We beheld his glory. And here he is on his knees washing his disciples, including Judas Iscariot. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. He didn't have 18 armor bearers. Glory to God. He came to serve. He said not to be served, but to give my life as a ransom for men. Oh, glory to God. He was made in the likeness of men that he might be able to identify with our sin, our suffering, our pain, our, our angst. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Listen to what Paul says after that. Even the death of the cross. The cross invented by the Persians and the Phoenicians, perfected by the Romans. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him. Hallelujah. Set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, right? Power above all principality, power, might, and dominion. And, and, and by, above every name that's named in this world and the world to come. Glory to the Lamb of God. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, hallelujah, every knee should bow. Bow now. Please bow now. You're going to have to bow later. Isn't it best to bow now? Bow now. You're going to bow one day. You're going to bow. Every knee's going to bow. And every knee should bow of things in heaven 
Things in earth. Things under the earth. Things under the earth. Things in heaven. Things in earth. Things under the earth. Things under the earth. That's scary, isn't it? Things under the earth. There's an underworld. Things under the earth. Jesus said, I have the keys of, of hell and death. Things under the earth. I have the keys. I'm going to follow him who has the keys. Muhammad doesn't have the keys. I'm sorry.